The rest of you can turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. We'll be looking at verses 7 to 23. That text is also printed for you in your bulletin. We're continuing our series this morning in Luke's Gospel called Meals with Jesus, in which we're looking at the various meals that Jesus had with people. Um, It's been said throughout Luke's Gospel that Jesus was either going to a meal, was at a meal, or coming from a meal. And then it says the Son of Man came eating and drinking. This is one of his primary ministry strategies. Long meals around a table with all different kinds of people. And Tim Chester in his book, A Meal with Jesus, says that meals can be a reflection of our hearts. Our meals can be a reflection of our hearts. And as we look at Jesus at meals, we see what his heart is like. We see that in Luke chapter 22 this morning. As you're turning there, um, have you ever been to a meal that wasn't just a meal? Uh, Maybe there was food and people and a table, uh, but it was loaded with meaning. Something bigger was happening. Um, My wife Erin and I were originally introduced to each other by a mutual friend. This was a classic blind date situation many years ago. And our friend um, gave Erin's number to me. And having never seen Erin before, this is pre-social media days, um, I called her. We talked for like 30 minutes or an hour. Again, having never seen each other, just called her out of the blue. And then I asked her out to go on a date the following week. Um, Super exciting. It was great, right? So during this time, uh, we were both going to the same church, uh, though we had not uh, met, didn't know who each other was. But in between the time of my phone call, which I believe was on a Thursday, and the time of our date, which was I believe was on a Tuesday, there was a Sunday. And so we were going to be at church, having already planned this blind date, and we didn't know who the other person was. And so but we knew we were at the same church. So we go to church. As you can imagine, it was a very exciting church service, wondering, like, is that her? Is that her? Is that her? What does she look like? And, uh, and sure enough, we, you know, we kind of have this group of friends that all would you know, sometimes end up at the same lunch spot. So I had a group of guy friends. She had a group of girlfriends. We all end up at this place in Dallas called the Purple Cow, I believe it was called, for lunch afterwards. And sure enough, the way this meal works out, we all end up this, as one big group at one big table my friends know I'm going on a blind date with someone named Aaron Zimmer next week. Aaron Zimmer's friends know she's going on a blind date with someone named Jonathan Davis next week. And sure enough, we are seated right in the middle of these two groups of friends sitting right across from one another at this lunch. And so we are in this beautifully awkward situation of like everyone sort of watching us have this meal that's not the date, but we're meeting for the first time. And everyone knows we're going on a date, so it's not just Aaron and I sort of evaluating, is this thing going to work? Should we do this thing on Tuesday? But everyone else is doing the same thing, watching this meal go down. Okay, that was not just a meal. Something bigger was happening there and something that clearly foreshadowed more to come in the future. Um, The meal in our passage is loaded with meaning. It's not just a meal, and it foreshadows a lot that would happen just days ahead and then through eternity even. Some context to our passage. It's the final week of Jesus' earthly ministry. He's just a day away from the cross at this point. He's experiencing just the full-on onslaught of threats and plotting and persecution from the religious leaders. In the midst of the chaos of these final days, he has a meal with his disciples. And that's where our text picks up. This is Luke 22, starting in verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb was, has to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. 
They said to him, where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters. And tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room furnished, prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Verse 14. When the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, a cup after they had, uh, likewise, a cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. The Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. The word of the Lord. Father, we do thank you for your word. Uh, And we just cry out that we desperately need you to help us to hear it, to believe it, to really take it in and understand it. So Spirit, would you do that? Open our ears, our eyes, our hearts this morning. And Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, three headings this morning as we look at this meal. I want to talk about the setting of the meal, the meaning of the meal, and the betrayal at the meal. Setting, meaning, and betrayal. First, the setting of the meal. So the text mentions two things about the setting of this meal, that it was Passover then the guest list is mentioned. Let's talk about Passover. Uh, This would have been um, the annual meal for the Jewish people where they remembered God's deliverance uh, from Egyptian slavery. You could look up Exodus chapter 12 later this afternoon. In the Old Testament, this was the act of God's rescue of his people. And they remembered it and they celebrated it year after year. Passover was a major event to be remembered and celebrated. Verse 7 says that this was on the day in which the Passover lamb was to be sacrificed. They would take a lamb to the temple, it would be sacrificed, and they would prepare it for dinner. And this really gives us a window into their world. For the Israelites, this would recall their history. This would recall the original Passover where the lamb was slaughtered, the blood of the lamb was spread over the doorway so the Lord would pass over God's people, not kill their firstborn as he did to the Egyptians. They're told to eat unleavened bread. That's mentioned here. They're told to eat unleavened bread leading up to the Passover. So they wouldn't wait until the dough was leavened. But they would eat it unleavened. Meaning hurry up and get out of Egypt when all this goes down. So that's the meal that's being remembered. Jesus and his disciples are preparing it in our text. Peter and John are sent ahead to prepare the meal. There's this man carrying water. He's going to meet them, show them the house where this hidden sort of discreet place is Jesus is increasingly under persecution and attack where they could have this meal. So they go, they get it ready. The occasion of the meal was Passover, this annual cultural religious marker. Who is Jesus dining with? Let's talk about the guest list. Verse 14 tells us that Jesus reclined at table with the apostles. We've seen that phrase a lot in this series, reclined at table. This is feast language, true dinner party language, um, not a quick meal on the go. 
uh, not random. This was a long meal, planned out meal, big feast, unhurried time. In verse 15, it says that he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Again, super important meal for the Israelites. Remembering God's salvation at the hand of the Egyptians. Looking forward to the promised Messiah, the Passover lamb, who would be the final sacrifice for God's people. Really important meal. And Jesus wanted to have this important meal with his disciples before he suffered, it says. Um, Throughout Luke's gospel, Jesus told his friends multiple times about his upcoming death in really clear, really direct terms. I don't know, uh, parents, if, if you struggle to get your kids in bed at night, maybe we're alone in that. But if we kept record of how many times we said, all right, it's time to go brush your teeth and get in bed. It's time to go brush your teeth and get in bed. It's time to go brush your teeth and get in bed. Over and over, clear, direct terms, over and over, but it's as though they can't hear. That's probably just our kids. Jesus told them time and again in really clear terms, hey, here's what's going to happen to me, guys. You who are following me, loving me, here's what's going to happen. Listen to how he says it in Luke 18. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them. And they did not grasp what he said. It was hidden from them. They didn't understand it. Jesus knows. He's at this meal. He knows what tomorrow holds from the suffering of the cross. And the fact that he is the Lamb of God who is going to be slain for them. He knows this. They didn't fully get it. But he is wanting to share this meal with his friends before it happens. Why? Because he loved them. John's gospel says it explicitly that he loved them to the end. I love videos of soldiers coming home from de- deployment and surprising their families, especially around the holidays. Just guaranteed waterworks, guaranteed tears to see soldiers coming home from deployment. Um, you see, you know, unexpecting children playing, keeping to themselves. They don't know what's happening. And then whoever was deployed, mom or dad, walks in the door. Maybe it's an older sibling. And it's shock and joy and tears. And it's just the most beautiful thing ever. But, and sometimes you get the backstory where these soldiers traveled across oceans in all these crazy ways just to be home for the holidays, just to be around the table for that meal with the ones that they love most. Jesus' love for his disciples was real. He really loved them. Even though he knew the excruciating suffering that was awaiting him just that next day, he was eager to be with them for Passover. And part of the reason he was so eager to be with them because this meal was loaded with meaning. Loaded with meaning. And he wanted them to know it. So let's talk about the meaning of the meal. Um, so much could be said here about this, right? We're, we're talking about, you know, what we call the Lord's Supper. Let's think about it this way. What, what does the meal tell us about Jesus? And what does the meal tell us about ourselves? So first, as we think about its meaning, what does the meal tell us about Jesus? It tells us that Jesus is the Passover lamb. He is the Passover lamb. Look at verses 19 and 20. He took bread when he had given thanks. He broke it, gave it to him saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Um, If you've worshiped with us before, these words should sound familiar. They're called the words of institution. We say them each week before we take the Lord's Supper. 
Um, and they sound uber familiar to us, right? We hear it a lot. Um, this was the first time the disciples had heard these words. And Jesus had not yet gone to the cross. So this was a new concept for them. Um, and he's literally taking bread and breaking it and passing it around saying, this is, this is my body. It's given for you. The cup, this is, this is my blood. Take this. This is poured out for you. There's another cup mentioned in verse 17. You may have noticed that. Um, that's not mentioned in other parallel passages in the other Gospels that recount this meal. Commentators say this is a cup that has to do with the Passover feast itself, not connected to the Lord's Supper. Different cup. There's only one cup in the Lord's Supper. Um, but this, there's some important fulfillment that's happening with these words of institution. He's telling them that he is the long-awaited Lamb of God who is going to be sacrificed for them. And the Apostle Paul says it directly in 1 Corinthians 5. He says, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed, has been slain. He's the final sacrifice for our sin. Big news to them, to them which they still didn't fully grasp. But it's the news they need. It's the news that we need to hear too. Uh, we are not sacrificing animals on an annual basis to atone for our sin. Um, but we do all kinds of self-atonement, of trying to deal with our sin on our own. Think about a few ways. Uh, we mess up, we sin against God in some way, and we, and we punish ourselves. Maybe it's like cruel self-talk, um, tearing ourselves apart, self-hatred. Maybe it's all in our heads, maybe it's not even verbal, it's just inside our heads. Maybe it is verbal, we tear ourselves down out loud. Maybe it's it's a physical form of self-harm. Uh, but we just feel so much guilt and so much shame that we just think, this has to be dealt with. I have to deal with this. And, and without even maybe even realizing, we just, we just take it out on ourselves. Uh, maybe if there's enough, the thinking goes, self-inflicted hatred or pain, then we can atone for our mistakes and our sins. Or maybe it's a more subtle form of just constantly living in despair where we're just guilty of something, nagging guilt, committed some sin we can't shake. And, and because of that, we just won't allow ourselves to be happy um, or at peace. And so we're just in this constant state of sort of foggy despair, ruminating in our guilt how bad we are. And we hang on to that as long as possible because the thinking goes that if we can feel bad enough for long enough, then maybe we can atone for our sin. Then maybe I can make up for the bad things that I've done. But Jesus is telling us that there's another way. That he is a sacrifice for sin, the final sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice. Um, sometimes that self-hatred or despair, it kind of feels like a God-honoring thing, but it's not. Jesus is the Passover lamb who was slain. It is finished in Jesus. This meal tells us so. What else does it tell us about Jesus? It tells us that he loves us so much that he wants us to remember this sacrifice. He does not want us to forget this sacrifice. Um, he's saying that, guys, something so important is going to happen tomorrow on the cross that I'm going to give you a meal of bread and wine to eat whenever you're together with my people so that you all can continue to remember this important thing that I'm about to do for you. Monday night, I can't believe that Monday was Halloween. Seems like this was like weeks ago now. After a night of trick-or-treating this past week, our family sat down at our dining room table. All the kids emptied their bags of candy out onto the table and started sorting it, trading it, giving it away, throwing it away. <clears throat> um, instantly, this led Aaron and I into a conversation about 
how certain types of Halloween candy, they just like, you see it and it just takes you back. Um, they're, they're like things like Whoppers or Nerds. I only ever ate those on Halloween. And so when I see that candy and I eat it now, I mean, it takes me back to being a kid where, where you just remember like the costumes that you wore, the temperature of trick-or-treating when you were like nine years old, who you went trick-or-treating with. I mean, instantly there's something about that candy, the taste of the smell that just takes you back. Jesus gives us food to help us remember what he did for us. And he tells, he tells them, hey, when you eat this, remember me. It's a meal to help us remember. Uh, remember that he came in love. Uh, remember that he came to cleanse you of your sin, which you couldn't do for yourself. Remember that he came to suffer for you. Uh, remember that he came to die for you. Uh, remember that this is the thing that you need to be saved. Faith in him. Faith in his life and his death on your behalf. He's saying that here's the bread, here's the wine. Remember. Keep remembering. It's the meal that tells us that he is a Passover lamb and he really wants us to remember his sacrifice. All right, what does this meal tell us <clears throat> about us? It tells us that we're going to need to be reminded of this truth time and time again. It tells us that we are prone to forget this good news. Um, we're going to forget. And we're going to tell ourselves that we're unlovable. And we're going to live accordingly. Uh, we're going to forget and we're going to be buried in shame. And we'll have no idea what to do with our shame. And so inevitably it'll just get thrown on those around us. Uh, we're going to forget and we're going to tell ourselves we're unforgivable. Uh, that what we've done is too bad to be forgiven. That we're somehow the exception to all this. So we'll live in guilt and we'll look for ways of self-atonement, good behavior, proving ourselves worthy, trying to get around the right people, living an over-busy life, creating more rules to follow to prove that we're good enough. We're just going to tell ourselves we're unforgivable and try to find a way out. Um, or maybe we'll forget and our hearts will harden ever so slightly over time and we'll begin to think that we're not that bad. We'll kind of look to our right and our left and think, you know, I'm not that bad. We'll start to believe we don't need to be forgiven. We are prone to forget this good news. We are prone to forget the sacrifice of Jesus and what it means for us, which is one of the reasons, by the way, that we take this meal every week. Sometimes it feels like we can forget the good news the second we hit those doors. Maybe you've seen this in yourself. As soon as you get around the lunch table on Sundays, it's like the old self comes back again. Like what happened to the person just an hour ago that was holding their hands up in church? We forget. And it's not just that we forget, but there are also forces around us trying to uh, get us to forget. Um, the evil one wants us to forget the good news. He wants us to wallow in guilt and shame, to not experience uh, the peace, the deep internal peace that comes from being reconciled to God. And he'll use all kinds of narratives to try to get us to forget the good news. And it can be so subtle. You know, wouldn't it be better if we just latched on to the latest like self-help trend uh, to try to feel better about ourselves than falling at the foot of the cross and surrendering it all to Jesus? The evil one is so subtle and he wants us to forget the good news. We are fallen sinful people living in a fallen sinful world. The cards are stacked against us to forget the good news of Jesus. And Jesus knows that. And in his love and in his kindness, he gave us a meal to remember it. What an amazing meal. Jesus with his friends at the Passover, loaded with meaning, 
Yet the text says that not everyone around the table is there for the right reasons. Let's talk about the betrayal at the meal. Look at verse 21. Jesus says, But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. The Son of Man goes as it has been, as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. So Judas is the one who would ultimately betray Jesus by turning him over to the authorities. And just before our passage, we learned some of the reasons why. Uh, verses 3 through 6, not, not in your uh, bulletin, but you can look up if you have a Bible. 3 through 6, it says, Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. So Satan entered Judas. He was overcome by the evil one. And what did Satan tap into? It was Judas's love of money, his concern about money. It didn't actually just start here. Listen to what Phil Riken says about this as he writes on this passage. He says, the only clue Luke gives us is that Judas had a profit motive. All this fits in with what we learn about G- Judas earlier in the Gospels. It was Judas, remember, who objected when Mary of Bethany anointed the feet of Jesus with a whole pound of sweet perfume. Quote, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He complained in John 12. John informs us that Judas did not say this, quote, because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. More than anything else, Riken says, it was the love of money that tempted Judas to his betrayal. So complex, Satan, evil influence, love of money. And in verse 22 in our passage, the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. None of this is a surprise, but is all a part of God's perfect and mysterious plan. This is all a part of God's plan that Jesus would be betrayed by Judas and go to the cross for our salvation. But it says, quote, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. All of this is true, and Judas is responsible for his actions, responsible for his betrayal. So weighty. And if you're quickly doing some self-reflection on your own heart, you're not alone wondering, what would what, what I do that? Am I capable of that? Because you see there's this questioning about the betrayal. So only Jesus and Judas knew at this point in the meal. Verse 23 says they all begin to question one another as to who was going to do this. What an eerie feeling sitting around wondering, who will it be? Will it be me? Will it be you? What do we make of this? I mean, it forces us to wrestle with the question of, of where am I in relation to Jesus? What is the state of my heart in relation to Jesus? Judas was going through a lot of the motions. He was one of the twelve. He was doing the religious things, doing the, you know, the churchy things of their day. Where are you in relation to Jesus? It forces honest self-examination. Um, here's what we see. Our hearts are so sinful and bent against anything of God that even our belief in this good news of Jesus as our sacrifice, the belief and the faith that we have, that itself is a gift from God. It's nothing that we can muster up within ourselves. The larger catechism puts it this way on our justifying faith. It says, quote, Justifying faith is a saving grace 
wrought in the heart of a sinner by the Spirit and Word of God. Where does our faith come from? It is wrought in our hearts by the Spirit and the Word of God. So if, you're, if you find yourself struggling, doubting, wondering whether or not you have this faith, cry out and ask for this gift of faith. Because the good news is Romans 10 says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Run to Jesus with your doubts, your fears, your questions, your self-reflection. Cry out to him. Ask for the gift of faith. It's a prayer he loves to answer. So in our text, this last supper becomes the Lord's Supper for us. Right? And the Lord's Supper for us is pointing us towards the marriage supper of the Lamb. Isaiah 25, Revelation 19 says, This is where we're ultimately headed in Christ. To a feast of rich food, well-aged wine, with our King, no more tears, our sins removed completely, glad, rejoicing in God's salvation. And it's a meal that's going to satisfy us for forever. Um, There are certain experiences in this life where sometimes the anticipation of the thing is better than the thing. For example, in my house, we start Christmas music on November 1st. That was a few days ago, which you were well aware of. Um, If you go to any store right now, the Christmas decorations are up. So for the next two months, leading up to Christmas, we're going to have music, lights, movies. We already watched a Christmas movie this week. Food, desserts, decorations, shopping, parties. All the great things about Christmas, right? None of those things are Christmas, but they all help us anticipate Christmas. They're all leading up to it, and then Christmas Day arrives, and it's great. But sometimes it's not as great as the anticipation of it. Those two months leading up to it can be a blast. Sometimes that's more fun than the actual day. As followers of Jesus, we are journeying towards a destination And Jesus in his kindness has given us this meal in front of us, this Lord's Supper, as food for the journey, as it's been called before. And this food nourishes us. But as great as this is to stand around this table as a church family each week and take the body and the blood together, this is not the ultimate meal. We do this in anticipation of the meal, the marriage supper with the Lamb. And that's the meal that, we're eat, that we will eat when we've arrived in glory, feasting with each other, with our King Jesus, in our eternal home. And we don't know how great it's going to be. It's going to be great. We don't know how great. But we know enough to say that the destination arriving at that meal will be better than the journey. It will be better than the anticipation of it. And this is our ultimate hope. To be around the table feasting with Jesus and his people for all eternity. And that is what is on offer to you this morning. So won't you cry out and receive it by faith? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this good news that you really do, you really do love us. And you have sent Jesus to come after us to be the one that sheds his blood, the blood of this new covenant that he would keep perfectly on our behalf so that we would be forgiven all of our sins, past, present, and future. We would be called righteous in Christ, loved and held for all eternity, reconciled, at peace with God. Father, this is our hope. And you've given us a meal to remind us. Oh, how we need to be reminded. Father, would you meet us as we prepare to come to this table? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.